Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right. Have you ever wondered how the height of a spirit still, the angle of a line arm, the length of a copper worm tub, the height of a shell and tube condenser, the temperature of the water surrounding said condenser, the air pressure, the rainfall, the hours of light on the day the bottle was distilled have impacted the character of your single malt whiskey? Well, today, dear chums, this actually might be the podcast for you. Welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast, and we are a fast approach, approaching. We're not approaching anything. We are fast approaching our tenth episode, which is mental. Uh, thank you for everyone who's who's been listening so far. And if you want to get hold of us, ask any questions. Uh, we actually now have an email address. We've gone very professional. Mitch, what is it? It is whiskeypodcast at gmail.com. That's very original. Thank you, Mitch. You uh, that is right. So we're moving into the 21st century. So let us know again if there's any questions you've got, anything that you want us to be talking about, uh, blast it over to the, the Whiskey Podcast uh, email address or you can do this as of yesterday. You can fire it on to our Instagram channel, which we just set up the other day as well, which is super exciting, which is not another whiskey podcast on Instagram. You can pop it into the DMs. You can reply to our stories or you can just whack it on the grid posts as a wee comment. So do that as well. And basically, that's it. Welcome back to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am Daz. And I am Mitch. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest, Mr. Brendan McCarran, who is the master blender for Distel. Before we start chatting with this whiskey mastermind, we're going to do a little bottle giveaway for you guys. Um, so this is kind of something that we've decided to do since we've got Brendan on here in his kind of honour. However, it's not going to be as easy as, as you think. So you need to listen to our chat first, unfortunately. We're going to talk about it at the end of the podcast, but there will be a little question about uh, something that Brendan's going to answer that you need to answer to actually apply for the bottle. So don't fast forward to the end of it uh, because you need to, to listen to what we're saying first. So Brendan, thank you very much for joining us. If anyone who's listening hasn't had the privilege to meet Brendan before, I'm going to do a little intro and let you guys uh, know what his kind of background is. So Brendan, if I get anything wrong here, then you can tell me afterwards. Um, so Brendan originally joined Diageo as part of the, the graduate recruitment program starting in Rose Isle. 
He then became the distillery manager at Oban for a couple of years, which is where we met. Uh, we met during my time at Oban. Brendan, I don't know if you remember this, but we did have a, a massive night. I, I can't remember if it was in your flat or we actually went out in Oban at all. In the flat. It was in the flat, wasn't it? And I remember the funniest thing about this is I remember getting up before you in the morning and you had a load of post-it pads and I just stuck everything with regards to like, I am a kettle. So when you opened up the lid of the kettle, the post-it pad was there and it was on mugs. It was like literally everywhere around your, your kitchen. I vandalized it. I was pretty proud of that actually. And I remember you specifically texting me afterwards going, you absolute bastard. I can't believe you did that. Um, so after becoming the youngest distillery manager of, uh, of Oban, he then uh, moved over to Isla became the group manager at Lagavulin Kalila and the Port Ellens Malting. Uh, then in 2014, Brendan made a move to Glenmorangie and Ardbeg as head of maturing whiskey stocks, where he worked closely with distillery managers and the infamous Dr. Bill Lumsden uh, to ensure the quality of the spirit produced at Glenmorangie and Ardbeg was consistent and to ensure, ensure the right amount of liquid was being laid down for future expressions of both brands. He was also responsible for creating a few whiskies there, uh, one of them being Ardbeg Anon. And then just recently, May 2021, so as we rec record this, this is only five months ago, he joined the South African-based distilling company Distel to become the master distiller for their three Scottish distilleries, Bunahaven, Tobomori and Deanston. Brendan, thank you so much for your time and joining us on our wee podcast for this episode, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for the intro. It's mostly accurate. So, mostly? What, uh, what did I get wrong? Tell me. Uh, I started at Burkhead Maltings. So oh, nice. Very, very, very proud of being a maltster first and a distiller second and a whiskey maker third, I guess. So, and uh, people at Glenmorangie, if anyone at Glenmorangie is listening, they all, I, I, I had like a little bit of a cult. Uh, where every year I would do the barley harvest update and people would realise that truly I love barley. I'm super passionate about barley. And it's a joke I've used a few times, but really to me, when people watch Gladiator, they wonder if he's going to avenge his murdered son and avenge his murdered <laughs> wife. And all I'm thinking is... In this life or the next. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just thinking that's some cracking barley that he's grown, you know? <laughs> The funny thing is, I actually watched Gladiator the other night, randomly, and um, it's quite funny. I think in the opening scene, when they're walking through the fields, or, or there's a scan, it passes through the fields, you can actually see the wheel marks from the, where yeah. the tractors have obviously been driving through them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yes, I started off as a maltster, but you're pretty right. I mean, you know, I started off in Burkhead Malton, so I was only there for two or three months, and then I got sent to head office to meet Brian Higgs, the head of malt distilling at the time big boss and he was like are you a chemical engineer and I said yes uh, but I'm a terrible one and he's like and you're on the graduate scheme yep are you flexible yep and he's like right sign here and I had to sign a secret document and they're like we're going to build a distillery first distillery in 40 years and I want you to uh, design it or help design it uh, so I put right place right time lucky 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 and it was amazing what a, what a first job what a first introduction to whiskey Fantastic. have you tried have you tried a whiskey from there yet then oh, of course of course, of course. That must course. have been quite a nice feeling, right? I, I had, for a while, I had a sample bottle of the very first new make spirit that ever ran off the stills at Rosile. My mentor, uh, Mike Jappy, was in charge of the project and he made sure I got one of the first 
uh, sample bottles that rolled off the stills. And then on Isla, at some point, someone either they nicked it or they didn't realize what it was and they, it, it disappeared. So I lost it, but I still have the memories of it. And Mike giving me that was amazing. I think Mitch has probably put a poster on it saying it's disinfectant or something. You know, <laughs> someone's used it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, Brendan, how long's that? How long have you been in the whiskey industry now? I uh, it's fifteen years. Fifteen years. So, I started in two thousand and six uh, in the grad in the grad scheme with Diageo. Uh, before that, I did a couple of years. You know, being a boy from Cote Bridge, um, I did a couple of years in drugs, uh, and then I moved on to the booze. So, I was with GlaxoSmithKline for two two years, just about down in near Brighton, and then got into the whiskey industry. Uh, 2006 so 15 years it's quite scary I still like thinking myself a dead young but you know mm. just in denial same same man I mean, especially as these greys come down the sides Mitch is don't <laughs> let Mitch forget this though Mitch is quite a bit older than us so salt and pepper mate salt and pepper <laughs> <laughs> alright so listen Brendan we're going to get into it in just a second but before we do we're going to kick off with uh, kind of a little bit about what we're drinking yeah so Daz, let's start off with you, man. What, what have you got in the glass? Nice. All right. So, yeah, basically, um, we have to, don't we? I don't think we were, uh, were allowed to drink something else, but I've gone all in on Buna Haven. I've actually, I've been a, a massive fan of Buna Haven for ages. So I've, I've just finished up recently, uh, Brendan, with White Mackay. So I was back and forwards to Jura quite a lot. Probably yeah. an old friend of yours, I'm sure, Shane Healy uh, yes. is over there. Um, and when I was going back and forward, I, I actually made an effort every single time to go down to Bunahaven because I was just so intrigued by the distillery. And, and it's obviously changed a lot in that time. You, you've done a, a, you've knocked down the wee village at the back of the distillery. You've uh, sort of landscaped the front. Absolutely. The place looks great. But even before that, I always just thought it was great because it had this sort of charm to it. It wasn't pretending to be something that it wasn't. It's pretty honest distillery, I would say. Um, so I've always gone down, sat on the pier, I usually have a wee dram or something like that whilst I'm down there. So I, I, I need no convincing uh, and no uh, sort of cajoling to get the Buna Haven out. So I've gone in on the Buna Haven on the guidance actually of Mitch, who told me to pick up one of these guys. Now, I actually don't know how you say it. Uh, Gaelic doesn't roll off my tongue as an East Coaster. So you could probably <laughs> tell me more about it. It's Sturadoc. Sturadoc is the Sturadoc. Stew, as in beef oh, like, stew. As in right. stew, yeah. Stew right I'm drinking the same thing. It's, this is so nice, man. I kind I, of I describe this as like um, Black Forest Gatto on the nose. It has, almost yeah. has like, like chocolatey uh, cherryness going on. And then there's a really nice briny characteristic on the palate that I get coming through. Such yeah. a good fan. Yeah, it's cracking. It's, it, it, it's, not, um, it's not long. It's not long out. Um, it's uh, probably about a year, a year or so that it's came out, and it's it's, it's a non-age version of Bonnerhaven. So, great thing about Bonnerhaven is it's um, it's like a real classic whiskey in many ways. So, everyone loves Bonnerhaven, and that's what I found out since I took the job six months ago. And everyone's like, "God, what a superstar distillery you've got there!" But it's 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 a it's an Isla, it's a classic Isla whiskey, but it's a, it's an Isla whiskey with a twist because we don't really do peated whiskey so much. And nothing is ever 100% in life, and it's the same in whiskey, but I'd say 99% of our whiskey is matured in sherry casks. So it's unpeated, big sherry, big whiskey from a big distillery. And this is just a way of showing it off 
a little bit younger than 12 with like a range of casks and it's been a massive hit. People are just going wild for Sturida. Um, great sort of, the 12 year old is probably takes more from the sherry cask. Yes, yeah? so you get more of that wood influence and a wee bit less of the distillery influence. What's called a 60-40 split, 60 wood, 40 spirit. Uh, the Sturidor is like a 50-50. So you get more balance. Um, you get to get more of that character of the distillery, which is fruity, fruity like pears, fruity like green apples, but also oily and floral and cereal as well. It's a really quite a complex, most overused word in whiskey, I know. I apologise, but I use complex genuinely. It is quite a complex yeah. new make spirit. And guess what? Something I didn't know until I joined there and it put a smile on my face because it just seems to happen. It's uh, made with spring water. So again, uh, some of the science makes sense of that crazy fermentation and wooden washbacks. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the like the mouthfeel. That oiliness is definitely there. Really yeah. big, like that creamy almost as well. Um, and the other thing you mentioned there, which, which I do quite like, is the... There's almost like a slight saltiness to it. There's a nuttiness to it, you know, where it, where yeah. it sort of sits there. And for an unpeated isla, some people might think, oh, it'll be quite light and easy going. It's not a pushover, you know. It definitely no. leaves a lot of character. So that's not a, this is not a cast strength whiskey. It's at 40%. What's it, 46? Uh, 46.3. So it's not, a, it's definitely not a pushover. It's not a cast strength whiskey, but it delivers lots of flavor. It hangs around sort of medium bodied, good length on the finish. Big fan, and you'll hate to hear this, Brendan, but it was at a very fair price. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's insane. Cheap. It's insane. The price Aye. that I, I see. I, 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 so I do like gin. So don't worry, I'm not slagging off gin. <laughs> I, I get to make gin now with Tobermory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I see Sturidor and my local St. Breeze, and I see the price that is at, and I see vodkas and gin next to it that are way more expensive. And I'm like, my God, I've put the best part of 10 years of whiskey and 12 years and 11 years and eight years all together. And it's sitting there next to something that was made, you know, uh, in a very, very different process, but somehow, somehow that, that, that is the price. That's not the price I yeah. wanted to sell for, but you know what, go out and enjoy it and congrats. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan. Mitch, how are you finding it? No, lovely, mate. Yeah, um, definitely underpriced though. It's, it's not, it's not very often that you say a whiskey is too cheap right now. I think this is this is one of the the exceptions to the rule. But I sat down with this the other night and I had a load of um, Mellis cheeses and I was just drinking it with that and and having some of the cheeses. It went so well. But what about you, Brendan? What you uh, what's in your glass? You having a wee drama yeah. with us? So I'm I'm having a wee drama. I've got a bit of a sore throat, so I'm not going wild uh, in the aisles tonight. But I do have a wee dram of Deanston Virgin Oak. So uh, Deanston is a distillery. It's super close to my heart and it's also super close to my house. So it's kind of my local distillery, if you like. So I'm from Glasgow, well, Coatbridge. Originally, my wife is from Stirling. So we live in a little village um, and it's like a 10 minute drive through the most like, most beautiful commute I think anyone could ever have through fields and all that sort of stuff to Deanston Distillery in Dune. And this thing is the super geeks kind of distillery because we make a spirit character called Waxy. And there's pretty much only two distilleries in Scotland that make waxy, Deanston being one of them. Just it's waxy is like fruity whiskey, but you then sort of leave it to kind of intensify and clarify and dare I say congeal, which maybe doesn't sound that sexy a word, but you just make this insane, gloopy, oily, thick, deep 
whiskey that's also citrus sweet and fruity. And because of that, Deanston's got like massive versatility. So you'll see it in sherry casks, you'll see it in wine casks. Um, it does exceptional. But for me, the best thing for Deanston's sort of fruity, waxy spirit is in American oak. And that's why I love virgin oak so much. So it starts its life in ex-bourbon casks, and then it's finished for around about a year in virgin oak casks from America. And since I joined, um, don't want to change too much or anything like that, but I have noticed some things in the recipe where I think it can go from being one of my favourite whiskies to probably being my favourite whiskey uh, from Deanston. And I'm sort of up in the age of it a little bit, but the main thing I'm doing is I'm starting to use medium toasted, heavily charred virgin oak barrels. So alligator charred barrels, char four barrels. That's what I've been, I've been buying loads and loads and loads of that. I bought over a thousand barrels in the last couple of months and I'm just supercharging virgin oak. So you get insane sort of coconut and clove, uh, but mainly it's that kind of lovely vanilla caramel creme brulee kind of thing happening in it. Yeah. Great on its own, but it also makes a magic old fashioned, and I'm obsessed with old fashions. You'll see it on my Instagram a couple of times. Old fashions, and I think yeah, yeah, that's that's all I see on your Instagram is you drinking old fashions all the time. I, um, I do love, I do love an old fashioned. It's funny, you've got all these bartenders that want to be blenders like yourself, and you've got all these blenders who want to be bloody bartenders, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it happened during lockdown. So I used to always say, listen, I, I, you know, I quite fancy myself as a whiskey maker. I'm, I think I'm pretty good, you know? Uh, but I make a shitty cocktail, and that was always what I said. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. But yeah. I always used to say I make a shitty cocktail. But during lockdown, so you, you'll know Jason, who, who runs... Um, Bramble and Lucky Liquor. So Jason and I worked together a lot at Glenmorangie and, you know, we're, we're connected. So I used to message him like, hey, how do I do this? Or how do... And he was like, come on, man, start, start making <laughs> bloody cocktails. Here's the bare minimum that you need. And then this is second name drop, Clang. Uh, I'm also really quite good friends these days with Ryan, uh, Mr. Lion, <laughs> which is just awesome. It's hilarious where I'm, like, I'm going to ask my friends how to make this cocktail. And people are like, who are you asking? I'm like, Mr. Lion. <laughs> it's just, it's the, guy, the, guy, the guy from telly that's it Aye, exactly <laughs> you know that thing it's master class well it's him okay Aye. um so those two guys actually taught me how to make cocktails during the first lockdown so now i'm not going to make a you know a milk punch and i'm not going to do any fat Aye. washing but i actually make a decent martini i'm making a and i make a pretty good old-fashioned and i make a killer bloody mary um so yeah yeah uh, cocktails you have uh, you have good tutors. You have very good tutors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not bad, mate. They're not bad. Yeah. I want to I want to go back to uh, Deanston for just a second, though, if I can. Um, so I know you talk about Deanston Virgin Oak being your favourite dram. And by the way, guys, just for those that are listening, that is going to be the bottle giveaway, and we're going to get Brendan to sign it as well. Uh, so that's the bottle that you can win. But we, what we did, Brendan, as well, we put um, you know that you were coming on the the podcast. We put that on social media. And we said to people, like, if you've got any questions that you want to ask, then yeah. drop them in. So we're going to drop in a few of them. Um, and while we're on Deanston, I wanted to drop in this question from um, Steve Wesley, who's the Whiskey Watch on, on Instagram. And he oh, just, yeah. basic question, he just said, why is Deanston so underrated? Yeah, so, um, so first of all, I get what you're saying. I, I think I wouldn't say underrated, because actually it depends on how you look at it. Um, I would say, why is it so unknown? 
or little known. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you that if you are a whiskey maker or you're a blender, you know, you're working for one of the big boys making the amazing blends, the Johnny Walkers and that kind of stuff. You love Deanston because Deanston has a, as unique as you can imagine spirit character, that waxiness. It's the key to making some beautiful blends because waxy goes a long way in a blend. You know, it's a bit like certain alcohols make a great base for a cocktail because they show up in the cocktail. That's kind of like what Deanson is. So blenders absolutely love it. Um, And they can't go anywhere else to get waxy other than Deanston. So in many ways, historically, it's a victim of its own success, you know, because it's so desirable and so needed to make amazing Scotch blends. It has traditionally been traded a lot, um, sold a lot and given to blenders to make whiskey. So I wanted to continue doing that. I'm a lover of blended whiskeys, so I don't want to cut off the supply. But what I want to do, and the reason I've been hired and the reason that I've come to the still, is I want us to be a, just, just a little bit more selfish, you know, and keep more of it and lay more of it down and mature more of it out as Deanston single malt. Yeah. So I think these days it's becoming that one, which we all love, don't we? Once you're in the whiskey industry, there's mm-hmm. nothing cooler than showing up with a drink that no one's had before. You know, have you ever had this? And someone goes, no, I haven't. And you're like, mm-hmm. yes, you know? But Deanston's now everyone's kind of hidden gem, I would call it, you know. So I, I'm I'm feeling pretty confident that, you know, in 10 years' time, that, that question won't exist. I think it's just lay a bit more down, talk a bit more about it, be a wee bit more selfish, um, and Deanston's going to come to the fore. It's, it's just a wonderful whiskey, but at the same time, it's not going to be for everyone. And the reason I say that is waxy, takes a bit of getting used to it. It's like a step up from fruity. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of um, acquiring that has to happen to get into it. And it's also, you know, we, we believe in non-chill filtration, natural colour. So again, you'll see some variation in the colour from bottle to bottle. Um, and you also have that kind of, um, by, by it being non-chill filtered, you need to keep the alcohol strength higher. So it's going to start at 46.3 and work as well from there. So it's not going to be for for everyone but people in the know it's it's really starting to move now it's funny because it's one of the questions i had for you actually and i think you probably answered it already Uh, when i when i went from edrington to white and mckay uh you you know the 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 two big distilleries that they had were dalmore and jura and and i think i tried quite a few of those before i'd started and things what i hadn't tried a lot of was fetter cairn and it wasn't really until i went into the warehouses and got a chance to try some of the stuff that was aging away there that i thought Jesus Christ, why, why, why are they not releasing this? You know, you work with Sarah McKeeman over yeah. there at Distel, and she, she was there uh, over at Fetter Cairn Prior, and she had a great, great, uh, great person, great ability to sort of take something and, yeah, and give, it, awesome. give, it, give it its time uh, in the spotlight a little bit. And of the distilleries that you're working on now, is, is Deanston the one that surprised you? You, you were obviously aware of it uh, prior to so, going, you know. So, so it, it, it's not the one that surprised me because... Um, I used to work for Diageo and we needed waxy for, for making Johnny Walker, even though I was in the production side of it then, I wasn't a whiskey maker. But it's also not a surprise to me because, you, you know, now my wife, but my, you know, started dating when I was at university and she always lived quite close to it. In fact, some of her cousins and stuff worked at Deanston back in the day. So it's kind of cool that I'm now there as the master distiller. Um, so it didn't surprise me, but I think it does surprise a lot of people. It does surprise a lot of people. There's, there's two guys that are Instagram 
Um, run on Instagram, whiskey page. Then they're called Scotch in the City, two NYPD dudes, and they're just really cool. And I, I became really good friends with them. And they used to come to me and they're like, "This stuff, Deanston's really good in it." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing." And they're like, "Well, why is it not bigger?" And I was like, "There's, there's, there's just lots of things, you know." But the main one is, um, it's it's that it's just it's just so desired by blenders. It's such good spirit for making amazing whiskey. And yeah, frankly, I just think it is. It's our time to let it shine a bit and surprise more people, you know. It's right up my street. I love American oak. And I love yes, that waxiness, you know, that you get coming through. And I think when you get those two things combined, I remember uh, I live in Edinburgh and there's a shop around the corner. They had Deanston on uh, as a kind of, they brought it in just to try it uh, and see I... how people kind of got on with it. And uh, I, he knew what I did and stuff. So he let me try one. And I said, you know, I was like, how, do, how did you find it? You know, he said it was great. As soon as I tasted it, I was like, man, it was like creme brulee spiked with a wee bit of tropical fruit and a wee bit of citrus fruit. And it had that lovely richness to it. And, all of those dairy fats and things like that, I suppose that kind of allude to waxiness in some weird way, like are, are bang on for me. I absolutely love them. So yeah, I'm, I'm converted already, but yeah, um, yeah all, all good, it. you know, looking forward to having another one of those at some point <laughs> with you. Yeah, yeah. I'd love it. I mean, if, if people are, if people are getting, you know, curious and they're getting thirsty and thinking about Deanston, I, I'm a big believer in the virgin oak. I think it's just a great whiskey. But the 12, of course, is our classic. The 18 is the one that most people love the most. So Deanston 18, again, these are all in bourbon. But again, because of that waxiness, it has an oiliness. It has a, um, like a robustness. So it does also work really well in sherry. And if you have, you know, a wee bit of spare money squirreled away, keep your eye out for the Deanston 21-year-old Paolo Cartado. That one was just insane. Came out in 2020. And yeah, I mean, Julianne, who's the master blender, who reports to me, um, she made that. And yeah, it's just, it's just stunning. Absolutely stunning. Good, good tip. Nice. Little, little tip there from Brendan, everyone. Mm -hmm. So, Brendan, I want to ask you this. I mean, I was thinking about your, your kind of meteoric rise in your 15 years within the, the whiskey industry, right? I mean, it's incredible. When you think about it, you are now in charge of three amazing distilleries, which must be kind of like, I don't know, the, the analogy might be like having twins and, you know, your new three babies. So what thing are you most excited about and what are you going to take? You know, we've worked with some amazing people, Dr. Bill Lumsden, Jim Beveridge, all these guys um, that, that are absolute legends. So I, I suppose two-barreled question, what are you going to take from those blenders that you've already worked with and what are you most excited to do with these three distilleries? Yeah, it's a great question, which is the classic thing someone says when they try to stall for time, you know, to think. <laughs> um, but it, no, it is a great question. So, so, so what excites me most is, you know, it's, it's because these distilleries, so these distilleries, the quality is incredible. And I wouldn't just say that, but the Bunnahaven spirit we have laid down in cast is just incredible. And everyone knows that because everyone loves Bunnahaven. Um, my knowledge of Deanston is really strong. Um, and then the variety as well, because Tobermory, some of the time will make fruity spirit as Tobermory. And then the rest of the time will make lechig. And lechig is this insane smoky animal. And people will know from my history that I have a certain affiliation to insane smoky whiskies because, you know, I've, I've worked at Kalila and Lagavulin and, and I've made a lot of hard beg in my time. So there's this amazing variety across the place. But also what's really exciting me and, you know, I kind of freaked a few people out when I left, you know, the role as Dr. Bill's successor, because they're like, what are you doing? 
But one of the things, and this is total respect to Dr. Bill, is taking over from Bill wasn't really that much to do, you know, because he set up the wood policies so well and he's established the brands so well, the, the, the expressions so well. Um, what I love about this is we are still really quite small in terms of our single malts. So I've got a chance to kind of shape things, you know, and build the, the, the whiskies in the way that I want them to be made. So a few things I'm doing, I've already talked about Virgin Oak, already one of my favourite whiskies from Deanston, but I've saw ways to make it even better just by my knowledge of uh, Virgin Oak casks and the relationships I have with great suppliers in Kentucky. Uh, with Bonahaven, we make a lot of smoky Bonahaven, Moinya, and we make some of that for ourselves and some of that for trading. But what I'm doing is just trying to shift the balance and make way more unpeated Bonahaven because I love smoky whiskies, but my favourite Bonahaven, and Moinya is incredible, but I love the unpeated Bonahaven. So I think it's quite exciting to be able to grow our stock profile, you know, lay down more stock, lay it down in even better casks, lay it down in the best casks that I've ever worked with. That's stuff that I've learned from Bill in particular. Um, and then I've grown those relationships. So yeah, it's just it's just really exciting that I feel like I've got a chance to... So this is not all me. I'm not saying it's just me, but me and my team, I have a chance to really shape some amazing whiskies and make more of them and let more people try them and really turn them into something really cool. That excites me. The other things that excite me, I'm now making gin. So I'm making Tobermory gin. That's really cool. And also I'm getting to blend. Again, it's been a while since I blended. And we have Scottish Leader and we have Black Bottle, you know, and again, Black Bottle keeps my connection with Isla, which I'm obsessed with. And it's just a really, really funky blended scotch to put together as well. And you, yeah. you talk about another underrated whiskey. I think Black Bottle's it. I mean, it's it's a stunning blend. So good. The, I can't really go into the, the exacts because, you know, you can't be super transparent on what goes into it. But see if you saw... There's some wonderful grammar, isn't there? See if you saw. saw. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the hell was that, Brendan? Yeah. <laughs> but if you got to look at the pick list for the last black bottle I put together, if you got to see the superstar Isla whiskies that are going into this blend and being mixed together with some pretty old green whiskey, you'd, you'd lose your mind. If you've seen it written out, the ingredients list, if you've seen this written out on a cocktail list, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm buying four of them. And the cocktail would probably cost you 20 quid you'd pay it right. and you can get an entire bottle of black bottle for 20 quid and sometimes get change it's so it's i mean insane. i i remember i was lucky enough to when i first started my well back in our diageo days uh hanging out with with charlie mclean for a long time you know two weeks doing this um uh, yeah advocate advocates yeah and uh i turned around to him and just kind of a side note i was like right take your diageo hat off right now what's your favorite whiskey and he turned around and said black bottle so i was like oh, oh, okay and that's when I went out and discovered it for myself after that. And I, was, I was blown away with the quality of it. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about, so talking about you drinking whiskey, uh, Danny Dyer, he gave us a good question. So Danny Dyer is the, the, nice. the France global ambassador, not yes. Danny fucking Dyer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, his question was, what's the weirdest whiskey you've ever had? Yeah, this is, this is really cool because I know Danny and I know Steve who asked the questions. So that's right. Weirdest whiskey I've ever had. I mean, the obvious one is that um, Flocky, which is the kind of cow shit whiskey. Uh, oh, the Icelandic one. Yeah, the Icelandic one. Yeah. But maybe maybe the weirdest whiskey I've ever had is I had an Ardbeg and it just arrived when I'd not long started at Glenmorangie. 
and it came in as like a sample for approval. And I looked at her and I was like, God, this is really clear. This is really weird. And Bill was out that day and I'm like, I don't know really what I'm doing. This is the first couple of weeks. And I poured out, I nosed it and I was like, I have no idea what this is, but it's amazing. This is incredible, this. Turned out it wasn't even whiskey. So what had happened is uh, a cask had started to leak. So they transferred the cask out of the leaking cask into a fresh cask and took a sample and sent it down to us just to see. And it was two-year-old Ardbeg. Two-year-old Ardbeg. And it kind of tasted like, honestly, it tasted like smoky champagne. It almost had bubbles in it because of the alcoholic strength, I guess. So because of the, 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 the youth of it, I guess. But that one really sweet switched my mind to not all young whiskies are good. Young fruity whiskies are not good. Young Deanston is not good. So you wouldn't mm. see me doing it with that. Mm. But smoky whiskies when they're young are just out of this world. So it was super weird. Almost tasted like it had bubbles in it and tasted a bit like smoky champagne. But it then got me going and then eventually we launched Wee Beastie, which was like a five-year-old's Ardbeg. Got, and, a bottle, uh, got a bottle right here. Um, ah, nice. And I'm a massive fan of young whiskies. And I think that's a good example. I remember the story. Um, I tried a lot of them when they came out. Was the still young, nearly there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. I, was, I sort of got a chance to try those as they were kind of being released in the, in the early thousands, whenever it was. And uh, Talisker, young Talisker, I find is just superb. It's better than the old Taliskers, you know. And it just it's peppery, it's vibrant. You get everything that's great about the sort of spirit style, with just a little bit of a little bit of wood, just to take the edge yeah. off it, you know. It's yeah. like uh, yeah. it's like a lager and lime, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so proper yeah, cocktail, be, a proper cocktail. They, they, they'd be my weird ones, I think. They'd be my weird ones. The other ones is I've, I've tasted some whiskey that we tried experiments with and we matured it in non-oak barrels. And let me tell you, there's a reason the Scotch Whiskey Act demands that you use oak. It's because it's good. And all these non-oaks are terrible. Mm, got it. <laughs> so, yeah. So don't try Brazilian cherry wood whiskey because it's minging. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the weird, weirdest one I ever tried was a Scotch whiskey that's and it's still being aged right now in a ex Tabasco cask. That was, that was oh yeah, I've tried some of that as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, what about old whiskies then? So we saw the other day, Brendan, that Gordon and McPhail have literally just put out an eighty-year-old and live it. Yeah. I mean, going from young whiskies and talking about the qualities within those. I mean, eight-year-old whiskies as a blender, as a whiskey maker, as a distiller, regardless of whether it's good or not, must be so interesting to try stuff like that. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so again, this is where I get, you know, really lucky and get really spoiled and can become a little bit entitled. I do acknowledge it. Um, old whiskey is not always better whiskey. And we all say that to our, you know, blue in the face. Um, just because a whiskey's young doesn't mean it's bad. And just because a whiskey's old doesn't mean it's good. But really... I always talk about sweet spots in whiskey. And one sweet spot to me is about 10 to 12 years. At 10 to 12 years, you get this almost 50-50 balance between the character of your distillery and the character of the wood that it's been yeah. matured in. Then another cracking sweet spot is obvious, 18. You know, so that 16 to 18-year-old kind of number um, is another really, really cracking sweet spot. See, once you go above 18... There's other sweet spots, but they're less consistent at 21 and at 25 and at, let's say, 30, you know? So if I was going in blind and I had all the money in the world and stuff like that, but I was trying to buy a whiskey that I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to drink, 
you're going to, I'll, I'll buy something that's in the 10 to 18 year mark because I really think that that's the, the, the most, that's good, yeah, that should get the highest success rate. Yeah. But there's no denying when you try older whiskies, you know, I'm not saying it's the greatest experience and it's the best tasting thing and some of them are just tasting a wood, but every so often you get a taste one that just has like, it's like layers, there's layers of texture. And I'm a big texture junkie when it comes to food and drink. But it just has layers and it has length, you know, it'll develop and it'll change and it, it almost opens up like a decanted red wine when you drink really old whiskies. And then the other thing is, don't even get so hung up on how did it taste and what were the tasting notes and which casks were it in. Really, who cares? You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're drinking a whiskey that was made before you were born most of the time. You're drinking a whiskey, an 80-year-old whiskey, you know, you're, you're drinking a whiskey from, you know, like... Uh, two, three generations ago, you know, you start to think, well, what was going on when this whiskey was laid down? It is, and this sounds ultra pretentious, but you are like drinking history. So it just takes your head to somewhere completely different. And you just, yeah, you, it just makes you stop and think and things slow down. So there's a whole load more to old whiskey than just what does it taste like and how much did it cost? There's just this, it, it, so it, it almost demands attention. I totally agree. I remember I went to, there's a, there's a hotel, uh, Mitch, I think you sent me there, to the Tay Cregan up uh, near Dundee somewhere. Is it? Oh, yeah. Ferry? Yeah, you yeah. know the one? And there was a guy, yeah. I think Andy was his name. He owned it at one point and he had this incredible whiskey selection. I don't know if that hotel's still there or not, right? But uh, I was early days at Diageo. I was only about 23 and I go up there. I'm sure Mitch told me to go up there and do a, a, a tasting or, or sell him something or something like that. So, but the guy was, the guy was great. Right. So he's, he's an older chap than me. He sits me down and he's like, right, son, what are you here to sell me and all that sort of stuff? And I was like, yeah, I think it was Singleton or Dufftown or something like that, you know? And he's basically just told me to shut up and he's not buying it. And he's like, but you know, whilst you're here, I want you to have a look at the top shelf and let me know which ones you want to try. And I was like, Oh, you don't have to do that, you know. And he's like, "No, no, I want you to pick one." So there was a Mortlack, and it was a Gordon McPhail bottle, and I, and I think it was like a fifty-five or a sixty-year-old, but it was black, right? You couldn't see through this stuff. I and I had a wee taste of it, and it was it wasn't wasn't pleasant. That you know, the moisture was literally sucked out of my face. I, uh, it was I, so bitter and astringent, and and I, and I, and, I, and he actually sat me down, and he was like, "You're a young man. You're going to be in the whiskey game, I'm sure, for for a wee while." Um, just don't get too hung up on the old whiskies because some of them taste like that. Try some of the young stuff. It's great and everything. And it, it was a bit of a lesson quite early on, you know, that it was yeah. like, I, I would have thought at that age, you know, go for the older stuff. That's where the quality's at. And quite quickly, and obviously it wasn't because you'd lost everything from the distillery. It was just wood, you know, and it yeah. wasn't pleasant. It was so, so tannic. It's horrible. Yeah, it can happen. It can happen. There's... What do you tend to do with that? Like just if, if people are interested, because they probably are thinking, well, what do you do with that whiskey? So what I would do with that is, say it was, let's just pretend it's 40 years old, right? That whiskey, even though it's overcast and it's super woody and it's, it's tannic and it's concentrated, what that is, is it's a great ingredient for a younger whiskey. And I'm doing like the bunny years annoying thing, parenthesis for younger. I would use that in like a 25-year-old Bonahaven, for example. If it was a 40-year-old Bonahaven that had been overcast, and you'd find that a little bit of that into the 25 would go a really long way. You know, it would really develop and extend and, and give like texture and backbone to a younger whiskey. So that's that's what you should do with that. And probably what's happened is 
whoever it was that was making that whiskey has just needed to release it, you know, the and they've just they've just went for it. But again, it takes a bit of courage to like hold back, or sometimes to accept. Even though I'm sitting on a forty year old, it doesn't taste great. But find it into a thirty or a twenty five or a twenty one, and you know, let it be part of something that tastes amazing instead of just just taking the money. If you like, don't don't tell. I was going to say, don't tell the accountants. Ah, yeah, <laughs> right? I know. I know. <laughs> I think my, my analogy for, for older whiskies when I was you know, doing a tasting and people ask me this question, is like you have to remember, whiskies are like human beings. They're not always going to mature very well, and some of them don't. Mm. Yeah. I, I know I, what you're going to say, like myself does, right? Go on. It's on the tip no, of your tongue. I, 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 I actually think you're improving with age. Oh, uh, that's all right. I'm like a fine wine. A fine wine, absolutely. Or a, or a rare whiskey, absolutely. So... Brennan, going back to our questions that we got sent in, um, Chris Williams asks one. Uh, although more and more distillers are using experimental casks for maturation, will the use of ex-bourbon and, and ex-sherry casks ever be replaced by something else? And I want to add on to that question as well. So with this kind of newfound freedom of, of using different casks within the whiskey industry, have you been experimenting with anything kind of wild or wacky? Yeah. So, so, so the first one is, is, is probably no. So even though our innovation's through the roof compared to where it was, um, ex-bourbon casks and ex-sherry casks just make flavours that are so wonderful and so incredible, and they are supplied in amounts that we can use. So I don't think they'll ever, I don't think they'll ever, you know, go out. Um, there, there will be more innovation, innovation will continue to increase, but still the backbone of this industry, not just from a supply point of view or a cost point of view, but from making whiskey taste like whiskey, making scotch taste like scotch, is going to come from your American white oak and your Oloroso sherry. Now, into the future, I can see other white oaks supplementing American white oak, you know? We've experimented with Russian. There's some incredible European species of oak um, out there. So I think that stuff will come. Um, in terms of but I don't think it will replace ex-bourbon and I don't think it will replace Oloroso Sherry. They're just too good and they make too many amazing whiskies that we all love. Um, in terms of innovation and experimenting at Distel, so I obviously do an awful lot of innovation, a lot of experimenting, and I've done a hell of a lot of Glenmorgie in our bag. So I'm doing some interesting stuff at Distel, but do you know what I'm actually trying to do, Mitch, is I, I feel that we do an awful lot of very small innovations so if you go to the shop at Deanston, we have a huge amount of expressions. Some are single cask, some are uh, a thousand bottles, some are, you know, a couple of casks together. And if you get it, great. And if you don't get it, that's a shame, but it's gone. And I'm finding a lot of frustrated people all around um, uh, the, the world, frankly, who have said, oh, the Deanston Paolo Cartado, the one that I mentioned earlier, I've heard it's incredible. Where can I get one? And I'm like, no, it's all gone. And the Deanston Bordeaux cast, the red wine Bordeaux cast, can I get something like, no, it's, it's, it's all gone. So what I want to do is I want to do fewer innovations, but do them bigger. That's my kind of, that's my mission right now. So I'm going to experiment and innovate and do some really trendy stuff. But my mission to begin with is to lay down more stock and also do bigger bangs, you know, with the, the, the launches and the things that we release go global instead of local if that makes sense 
That's that. This this sounds like an experienced whiskey maker talking. Would you have said? <laughs> would you have you heard yourself say this ten years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I was actually I managed to catch up with Doctor Bill last night, so we went out in Glasgow for uh, a quick bite to eat and just just a catch up, you know. Um, and you know, he's like, ah, you, you know, because I left him. He's like, you left me. God damn you. But all, all tongue in cheek. But he's asking, how's it going and what are you up to? And I was sharing just that kind of stuff. And like, he did have a bit of a grin on his face. He's like, see, you did learn some stuff yeah. from me, didn't you? <laughs> um, that's so, like, that's so cool, man. That's, that's a classic example of how the whiskey industry is. You know, there's no grudges held. Everyone's good mates. I, I, I love that, that you guys are still, you know, going out for dinner and having a couple of beers and, and hanging oh, out. Oh, cool. yeah. Obsessed. We're still doing the same quotes from Alan Partridge and referring <laughs> the same random references to Prince songs and all that kind of stuff. So, no, no, it's 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 great. But that's definitely something that I've learned. I, I learned how to distill a Diageo. No one teaches you better how to distill than Diageo, and I'll argue that till the day I die. So I got all of my qualifications, I got all my IBD, and I got all my experience of how to make spirit and how to make different characters. And then at Glenmorangie, I went to the other side. You know, I learned how to malt at Diageo as well. So malt, blend, physically blend, and distill. And then at Glenmorangie, I got to learn how to buy wood, what makes a good cast, what makes a bad cast. I enhanced my sensory skills because it turned out they were actually pretty good. When I got interviewed at Glenmorangie, I scored pretty high, but they got even better. But I did get to understand a lot more of stock inventory the stuff it doesn't it's not that sexy but my god it's important how to lay down stock when to launch something when to say no when to do something as a special edition when to do it as a one-off when something is actually do you know what this should be a permanent release this should be something that we do more than once all that stuff it just you don't realize you're learning it until just just like you said there does um you know i was suddenly speaking about it and i was like oh my god i actually seem to know quite a lot of stuff when did that happen? Yeah, but you know, you know a lot of stuff. And I think what you do is you accept the responsibility that you've got, you know, which is huge because you've got not just, you know, the the legacy of, of who've worked at these distilleries before you. Like I say, you know, you've if you're working with 40 and 50 year old single malts that you may have lying in some of these warehouses, some of these people that laid those casts down, they're not with us anymore. You know, I don't want to get yeah. too morbid, but yeah. there, there is a there's an emotional uh, responsibility uh, to look after those stocks properly, use them for the right things at the right time, and not flitter them away in little yeah. projects and bits and pieces. Here, you know, it's I, I, I definitely I see that with yourself. Just listening to you talking today, and Bill definitely accepts that. Working with Richard Patterson. He's yep. massively passionate, always reminds you of the people that used to work at the distilleries when he started and things like that. And there's a massive human element to that, isn't there? It's not just about flavor. There's a there's a more cultural kind of human responsibility within it. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say a naughty, naughty word in the whiskey industry, but everyone's obsessed with terroir at the moment. You know, people talk about terroir. And the reason we all talk about terroir is it sounds really cool, you know, but <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just not. A thing um it just doesn't happen because terroir is all about how the grapes grow in the soil for wine but there is a sense of place that comes from distilleries and for a long time people talked about the shape of the stills which does affect the flavor you know and they talk about oh if it got a bump in it they'd have to keep the bump in it for forever which of course was horseshit but it was telling a story about the shape of the stills absolutely influences the flavor of the whiskey the length of fermentation absolutely influences the flavour of whiskey, how you mash absolutely influences. But 
what really people were telling was people influence how the whiskey tastes. And it's this thing that gets passed down generation to generation of workers at your distilleries. Most of the knowledge of how the whiskey is made isn't written down. It isn't yeah. a recipe that you pull out of a cookbook. It's experience that's been handed down and down and down. And it slowly kind of ebbs and flows and changes. So, yeah, it's no surprise that whiskey makers like Richard and Bill and myself, I'm not at their level, you know, yet. Mm-hmm. I'm crossing my fingers. I visualize <laughs> it's not a video. Um, <laughs> but it does all come down to people. It all comes down to the people who are opening up the valves to let the water into the mash tun, measuring the temperatures, measuring the gravities. It is a, people touch this product at every stage. And it has a massive influence on how they taste. Yeah, that's great, mate. Well, Brendan, listen, I know, I know you've, got, you've got to shoot off soon because the football's on, but I wanted just to get you that's off whiskey for one second before you go. Um, yeah. Tell me, what does Brendan get up to when he's not being a dad and making whiskey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, I've got a four-year-old son and I'm, uh, I'm married. Um, me and my wife and my son, we do a lot of stuff together. But what do I do in my own time? Um, so I've, I've ran a couple of marathons, so I quite like running. Uh, I used to be quite good at football, but now I'm old and slow, so that's uh, that's hopeless. Um, but I love running, I love cycling, um, play a bit of golf, I'm getting a wee bit more into golf these days as the knees give up. Um, and then the other thing, the guilty pleasure that I do that people don't know about is I, I do still play games quite a lot, so I'm quite a big Xbox fan. I've been for about, oof, it must be 15, 20 years now. So still do a fair bit of gaming as well. And then apart from that, doing Alan Partridge impersonations and watching Christopher Nolan movies would be uh, the other things people know me for. So if you see when you're see when you're gaming on the Xbox, are you basically beating 12-year-old children in, in, in Taiwan or, or America halfway around the world at, at something stupid like what is it like football games or like shoot 'em ups like what's the what? shoot 'em ups shoot 'em ups play play a bit of FIFA but it's mostly Warzone so mostly play Warzone <laughs> with my mates love it and it's it's almost it's like a, it's almost like a way you have a telephone call before your mates without having to talk about small talk you know because guys generally are useless at that so totally. it is it's, it's quite embarrassing to admit it but I swear it got me through the first lockdown you know it kept me in touch with all my mates and yeah I I still game. <laughs> Legend. Well, Brilliant. Mate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Before you go, though, we want to hear uh, an Alan Partridge impersonation quickly. Yeah. Right. So my favourite one always is that it started annoying me when you was like, murderer, murderer, you killed my son. That's what was shouted at my next guest as he was found not guilty at the Old Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, mate. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so, well, it's so good to see you again, man. We need to uh, we need to pop over to Glasgow and uh, go out for a couple of couple of drams I... together for sure. Me, you, and Dad, get on it. Yeah. Pop still and let's do it. Definitely, definitely love to, love to. It seems like maybe, maybe we are you know coming out of these lockdowns, so a wee bit of normality will return. So I, I'd love to. First pints on me, first dram as well. Superb. Hold you to that, man, for sure. Exactly. Uh, this is uh, recorded. Deal. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brendan. We'll take care, man. Thank you so much again. All right, fellas. Thanks very much for having me on. And see hey, so that brings us to the end of this episode, guys. Uh, I think, Daz, that's probably the most geeky one that we've done uh, out of all our episodes with episode number nine there. I think, yeah, great, great to have Brendan on, mate. Um, really yeah, yeah. good. Uh, it's great, actually. You know, it's so nice to sit and have a, a conversation with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, I know, not obviously, 
No disrespect, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. So we talked about this at the start. Uh, we are going to do a bottle giveaway. And this is how you guys can win a bottle of Deanston Virgin Oak, Brendan's favourite uh, dram that he's working on right now. So, Daz, drum roll, please. Okay. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm well qualified. You're a drummer as well, actually. I'm a drummer, Guys, this is how we're going to give away the ball. As Daz, Daz mentioned at the start, um, we've now got an Instagram account. We moved everything forward with Not Another Whiskey Podcast. So if you haven't followed us yet, Not Another Whiskey Podcast on Instagram, get your phone out right now, give us a follow. You will see at the same time we've posted uh, a post saying bottle giveaway, all right, in the title. So what we want you to do, simply tag two people uh, in the comments that you'd want to share a dram of that Deanston with. And then in the comments as well, write what the weirdest whiskey Brendan mentioned in this episode. So you guys will probably remember, if you if you haven't watched the, the whole interview with Brendan, you're going to have to rewind, uh, you know, watch it. No, listen, right? Is this a podcast? Isn't yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> I'm pleased to like my YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> so rewind give it a listen uh, and just pop that in the comments. What was Brendan's weirdest uh, whiskey that he tried? So right now, this is going to be going out on September the 18th uh, as we speak right now. So we're going to give you guys a month, 30th of October. What we're going to do is pick a winner, winner at random uh, and literally we'll DM you, get your address and boom, send that bottle of Deanston right over to you. That will be signed by Brendan as well. So He's going to be a rock star. He is already a rock star within the whiskey industry, but he's going to go up there, man. He's going to, I, I tell you, he's one to, to look out for in the future, for sure. Nice. Yeah, it was cool, actually. I really liked his, um, I know we focused a bit more on Buna Haven today, obviously being the kind of, I guess, the, the priority malt whiskey distillery that, that he's looking after. But nice to see the focus going on to Deanston and on to Tobermory he's clearly got some really interesting stuff coming up so a yeah. couple of whiskeys for us to be dramming uh, over the next few episodes there Mitch absolutely mate. and Daz so what are we going to do for the next episode what's the plan plan is 10. Uh, it's 10 mate we're into double digits this is a uh, this is big news for you and I uh, something that started as a bit of a lockdown hobby um is is actually starting to gather pace we've got instagram channels you've set up an email address it's all got very serious very quickly so next up we are actually going to have the swedish whiskey girl uh, join us on the next episode and i'm really really looking forward to that mitch you and i spent a bit of time with her uh, over the last two or three months uh, on lewis and harris at the harris distillery actually which was really cool um, and you guys caught up a couple of times since so yeah moa uh, who who is the swedish whiskey girl uh, is originally swedish moved to edinburgh has an unbelievable passion for whiskey and one of the things actually having watched her a couple of times do tastings and stuff she's got a great vocabulary for flavor i don't know if you've noticed that when i listen to her tasting notes she really does analyze the whiskeys brilliantly she communicates what she's tasting uh, better than most people i've i've heard uh, so i'm actually really looking forward to catching up with her and i think we should decide and let her decide what drams we crack open to be fair i think that would be the right thing to do absolutely mate absolutely so so we're going to base the whole episode around you know, being a whiskey influencer, which is exactly what Moa is now. Um, so we're going to talk about that with her, see what it's like, see what she gets up to, see how she got into all that. So stay tuned, guys, for the next one. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time, Slange of All right, legends. Thanks so much, Slange.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.